You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and its select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Monster House presents... Monster Talk is an independent podcast production of Monster House, LLC. You can show your support by subscribing to our ad-free extended episodes at patreon.com forward slash monster talk. We want to grow our Monster Talk audience, and the easiest way to accomplish that is for listeners to leave us five-star reviews on iTunes. Positive reviews have a huge impact and only take a moment. In 1987, shelves and carousels in bookstores and grocery stores around the world began to display a peculiar painting that would come to define an entire spectrum of human experiences. I'm speaking, of course, of the cover of the original paperback edition of Whitley Strieber's book, Communion. This episode is from our continuing series where we look at movies allegedly based on real events and try to find out what we can about what really happened versus what was portrayed on screen. If you've never read Communion or any of Strieber's subsequent books, you might still think you know what they're about. Elements have certainly become mainstream cultural tropes in what's commonly called alien abduction syndrome. However, as we'll discuss in this episode, it's not at all clear that whatever Strieber experienced was in fact alien in the extraterrestrial sense. He's come to associate it with the afterlife, with consciousness, with sexual energy, and a variety of other ideas. Also, this episode has an explicit tag because a lot of Whitley's writing has covered the extremely strange sexual nature of the experiences that he had, which he associates with the entity in that painting. There's quite a few episodes now in our series of Debased on a True Story, and you can find them all at youtube.com forward slash monster talk. But for now, let's get to the discussion of Whitley Strieber's Communion. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant, hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Welcome to another episode of Debased on a True Story. Today we're going to talk about Whitley Strieber's Communion. 
And uh, taking the show here uh, from here will be Blake Smith and Karen Stolzno. Go for it, guys. Greetings. Hi. So, yeah, this is uh, one of our many projects uh, under the, the, the auspices of, of Monster Talk. So, um, yeah, we've looked at a number of other movies so far, what, Amityville and... The Exorcist, um, The Hills Have Eyes, Changeling, The Changeling. Yeah. yeah, and so we thought, we've been looking at a lot of uh, horror movies and, and stuff like that, so we thought it's time to look at UFOs and spaceships and aliens. Not yeah, to that, say that yeah, this isn't horror. There, no, I, I think there's elements that are horror, horrible. Horrible. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so... I guess, in, in, you know, depending on your experiences, I think watching the movie can be its own kind of horror. Um, but I think and reading what, the book, <laughs> right? It, it's a it, the communion uh, phenomenon, and I don't mean the weird stuff that happened in the book. I mean the meta discussion about the success of the novel and of the film to some extent. Um, it's it's really one of those. The thing that makes it scary is that it's supposed to be a true story. I think. If it weren't a true story, I don't think it's that powerful of a story. But when it's supposed to be true, then suddenly it becomes quite chilling. Yeah, we're finding that to be a running theme, though, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like when we look at Amityville and when we look at, you know, um, you know, the hills have eyes. It's uh, suddenly more terrifying when you think that this is real. Yeah. So, and then this, yeah, this is no different. I agree. Um, so uh, the movie came out in uh, 1989, and that was based on the 1987 book. And I think it's interesting that there are parallels between Whitley Strieber or Striber, I've grown up saying Striber, uh, and Communion. And to me, L. Ron Hubbard, the fact that he was a science fiction writer turned guru or god, uh, I just think it's interesting that here was Whitley writing about horror, and then suddenly there's this book that is, uh, I guess, an autobiography, uh, autobiographical story about his personal experiences. And it just, to me, smacks a little bit of, of Ron Hubbard uh, having having that background, writing about something, and suddenly, oh, you, you're experiencing these things, your spiritual things yourself. Right. And, and, and he was a horror writer, probably most famously of the, of the book in the movie Wolfen. Um, which is about sort of an urban wolf slash werewolf uh, pack. It's an interesting film and book. Well, he was already famous by the time, right? He was having these experiences. So, so writing a story about a let's let's talk about this. He he. I think there's a really common perception, largely because if you take a look at the cover of the book, uh, this looks like a book about aliens, right? Yeah. But yep. but if you actually read the book, he never really calls them aliens. He calls them the visitors and mm-hmm, talks right. about them in terms of an intelligent, non-human species. Mm-hmm. And I think he perfectly, uh, strategically tapped into this rising UFO culture around abductions and the conspiracies to hide them uh, and, and made a story that's written like a horror story, mm-hmm. allegedly true, but at, at just about the perfect time to cash in. And I, I think <laughs> and that's a very cynical uh, reduction of, of his book here. 
But I mean, I think people people look at the book and they maybe say, maybe it's just a coincidence. Yeah, maybe it's a coincidence. <laughs> maybe I mean, I mean, everybody wants to do that. I mean, like if you're a writer, you want to like have this moment where you perfectly wrote your book at the time when the world was ready for it. I mean, you right. want to be Dan Brown writing about the Da Vinci Code, <laughs> right? You don't. I mean, the the people who wrote the Holy Blood, Holy Grail. They made some money, but not like Dan Brown made money, you know, so like the, right. the timing matters, right? So, yeah, mm-hmm. it really does. Well, another thing about that timing is 1987 was the year of the harmonic convergence, mm-hmm. and which was That huge. was like a big harmonica convention in St. Louis, right? <laughs> that uh yes led by bob dylan yeah Yeah. bob dylan and a bunch of hobos it was awesome right right and uh yeah it was it was a sight to hear and see um (laughs) nobody had the same key uh harmonica so it was kind of a mess um so not that harmonic at all but uh the thing is is that the harmonic convergence was really huge in the ufo community um it was believed that the alignment of the planets and various other aspects of it were going to bring us to an elevated level of consciousness so we would be able to commune with our visitors uh, more effectively. So the fact that he was able to release this book in 1987 is another interesting coincidence, um, very harmonic, uh, definitely. Well, I think that the name is interesting too, because I remember mentioning to a couple of people that we were going to be talking about communion for the next the based on a true story episode and they were like oh you're talking about like catholic communion or or what yeah so so i I do think it's interesting that he chose that that term and is there any specific reason that he chose that outside of the, the usage that matt just gave us uh is there more insight in the book into why he calls it a communion The, in the very end of the book, there's a lot of discussion about communion being about this relationship between him as an experiencer and these alien intelligences and the way that they're able to talk to each other. Um, you know, I, I guess what we should do, uh, well, I mean, I, I would think that uh, most people have heard of communion, but it's possible mm-hmm. that they haven't. So let's give a, a, a little brief rundown of what this story is about. Right. If you don't mind, I'm, I'm going to take a stab at it. This is uh, about events that happened in 1985, uh, in October, right around Halloween and around Christmas time. Um, and Strieber uh, was a successful horror writer living in New York City, but he had a cabin up in the Catskills um, where he and his wife and son would go to vacation. And this story is also told in the movie. There's a few differences, and we'll get into that. But while he's uh, visiting in October and then again in uh, December, right around Christmas time, he has some strange experiences of somebody perhaps entering the cabin or maybe some lights coming on. He's not really sure. He thinks maybe somebody came, but he doesn't really remember exactly what happened. Uh, Mm -hmm. Over time, these memories uh, start to plague him. He has a lot of... uh, problems where he thinks maybe something was going on he doesn't really remember exactly what ultimately he ends up getting connected with the alien abduction community and gets uh, hypnotically regressed to go back Mm -hmm. and re-experience that evening and discovers to his horror that what actually happened was that 
intelligent visitors from somewhere came into his home, kidnapped him, took him out into the woods, took him onto some sort of craft, um, anally probed him, and generally experimented with him in a very uncomfortable fashion before returning him to his home and telling him he was not going to remember this and he shouldn't be talking about it. So is this the first instance that we know of of the anal probe? Because that this is, is just... This is, it, I, I am not familiar with any case before this with the anal probe. This is eff- effectively case zero for the cultural <laughs> understanding of the anal probe as part of the uh, uh, experience of uh, abduction. Before and we we'll discussed I mean, that in the, the movies. Exactly. The movies well, and a bit later as well. And I, I have to say, so like in preparing for this episode, we uh, all did a lot of research. We watched the movie, read the book. I also got this uh, book called The Report on Communion uh, by Ed Conroy, which has a lot more background on it. I listened to subsequent interviews with Streber. Streber has continued to be involved with the paranormal radio world and the UFO radio world. He yes. took over Sun, Sunday nights used to be a show called Dreamland hosted by Art Bell. Like he would mm-hmm. host Coast to Coast AM all week. And then on the weekends on Sunday nights, he would host Dreamland, which would be a little bit of a different format. And ultimately he gave the Dreamland show over to Streber, who continues to run it to this day and uh, still has the same theme music and everything. So even though Art so- Bell's no longer with us, so. Is he continuing to have these visitations and these nightmares? Are they still happening? It's complicated. He continues to have experiences with the visitors. Uh, he was married to a woman named Anne in this book and talks a lot about her. Uh, she died. The, from she does. A she, while ago, she, didn't yeah, she? Spoiler. She does die. <laughs> Not in the book or the Far movie, face. but she does eventually pass. <laughs> and that's when things, in my opinion, get super weird because this is when Streber starts talking about, and it really, these go back to, he had a book called the communion letter. So after the success of communion, he had hundreds of thousands of people send letters to him. And he and his wife went through them in big chunks and they put together a book called the communion letters, which deals with a lot of the uh, sort of weird experiences. People who uh, had read his book wanted to share. Um, and one of the things that happens in there is people talk about having seen dead relatives in conjunction with being abducted. And so over time, again, he never says what these things are. It's obviously to anybody from the outside, if you haven't read his book, clearly these are aliens. I mean, aliens, look, yeah. look at the picture. It's clearly an alien. Mm-hmm. But that's not what Streber says. Streber calls them uh, intelligences. Uh, and he does not say where they're from, and he definitely believes some, well, it's very difficult to say what people believe. He proposes that it all has something to do with the continued existence of human consciousness. Um, He becomes good friends with Jacques Vallée. Vallée is kind of famous for saying that UFOs, maybe they're not aliens. Maybe they are fairies. Maybe they're tied to the, this thing that people have been experiencing for thousands of years. Is, is he uh, related to Bruce Valanche? Um, they have uh, very similar uh, V's in their names. I thought so. <laughs> but yeah. So, so yeah. <laughs> why do you think he doesn't use the A word then? I know um, why. <laughs> why, why. Why do you, do you think, think it's that he's trying? His wife, his wife 
Well, his wife definitely told him in the first book, don't call him aliens. Don't call That's him absolutely aliens. true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I was going to say, does this let it lend it uh, scientific credibility somehow to, to no. not use that term? I think it lends it vagueness, and vagueness can really be powerful. Sure. Yeah. Um, she, manipulated. She, yeah. I think her idea was that it was more artistic uh, this way to have that bit of, of um, you know, I don't say mystery to it because there is no mystery, but mm-hmm. uh, it just, you know, for people that have an aversion to the word alien, uh, whether, you know, from skepticism or from their own experiences, uh, him not using that, she felt was a better way to go. So I have a, I have a, a personal saying that I like, uh, that I've been saying since college, which is there once ambi- was a man from Nantucket. Ambiguity <laughs> is the devil's Not that lingerie. One. <laughs> Ambiguity is the devil's lingerie. I'm sure you use that, that, that all the time. That is a good I do, one. I do. I do. But, I mean, because it, you, you, it can hide all kinds of things and it can make something that's really terrible seem super sexy. So um it's just <laughs> a, ambiguity is it's like sexist. It, yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, hey. It's like, I, I I don't know. I mean, the devil could be a beautiful lady. It could be a beautiful man. I don't. I'm not judging. I mean, well, like, supposedly what, sometimes. Uh, in in the book at all, does he? I don't think this is treated in the movie. But in the book, do they refer to themselves? Do they have some kind of exonym for what we are? You know, here we are. We're. Great, I don't remember. I, I know he talks about. Uh, there's different ones. Like there's different uh, types Species. of entities. And we'll yeah. get around to that too. That's treated in the movie. It's, the the yeah. sort of the my recollection is the sort of the one wearing coveralls uh, looks like a. Well, to me personally, this is me, and maybe you could throw a graphic up in the video. But we will. Yeah. To me, the ones that are wearing the coveralls and have the big head look an awful lot like the uh, the Red Queen from the illustrated. Um, uh, through the looking glass oh, uh, by Lewis Carroll. That's an interesting comparison. Yeah, yeah they yeah. do look a bit comical. They're not very scary. Yeah, I mean, they have this the... enormous giant head on their normal size body. It just reminds me of that. I don't know if that was intentional or not. Yeah, that's a little bit of a cross between that and a blue Oompa Loompa. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oompa Loompas, yeah. Well, Bloompa like if you could hold up the cover again, because I remember seeing this, uh, the, the cover when I was a kid and and being petrified by this. Oh, yeah. It such no, it's super iconic... Scary eerie image and uh i guess we're going to talk more about the alien species in the progression too but is this the first usage of this face and this type did, did he is, is he the first person to no no he he's definitely not um and and, and this, this like me am i am i uh, just oh, like just you like just him. like, <laughs> like you sister. Um, i'd say yeah. one of the big things you know that's supposed uh, according to uh willie that's a, a female um on the cover there and and you can totally tell because uh she's got a nose uh often the grays (laughs) don't have a nose like that um and often the grays are more gray and uh she's not so great are you saying females nose more exactly (laughs) okay (laughs) yep yep Uh, exactly Uh, but yeah we if, if you want i can bring up uh joe nichols timeline and uh, he kind of shows where these types of aliens started appearing. You know, other than it's wearing a, looks to be a nice fur coat with a hood, 1951 uh, looks like a, a time when that sort of face appears. And then 1954, wow. we see it again. We see it again in 1961. We see it again in 1967. Um, so it has popped up quite a few times, 1975. 
um, you know, 1986. So it's, you know, sectoid. Yeah. And then it's really hanging out through the 90s. Um, it's yep. the main so sometimes alien. Gray and sometimes they're green. Yeah, they can be green, they can be gray, they can be, you know, uh, human flesh colored. Uh, it's it's really varies. And their size varies as well. And sometimes they're but little that, and sometimes that, they're giant, right? Right. But that guitar right. pick shaped head with the almond shaped eyes um, is kind of just iconic. And the thing is, is mm-hmm. uh, especially when you, the, they, they started calling them Spielbergs because of uh, <laughs> the, the whole uh, Close Encounters. So, yeah, I mean, this is this has been kind of an iconic alien for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think because we've had it in our consciousness, because it's been shown so many times throughout, you know, since the 50s, um, that when that face showed up on the cover, uh, that was a, yeah, that really struck a chord with so many of us. It really so, did. Yeah, I, I, I think it's uh, I, between this and Close Encounters. It really sort of created a, a really very, very available cultural template for what a uh, alien encounter is supposed to be like. So, sure. very, yeah, sure. the very strong suggestion well, was there. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think uh, we should start talking about the movie now, anyway, and um, and in comparison to the book as well. And uh, I think the the movie is really interesting. Uh, I think that what makes it bearable is uh, Christopher <laughs> Walken. <laughs> He's just so strange. And uh, I, I think, yeah, we should talk a little bit about his uh, his performance uh, in the movie and um, certainly his interaction with Whitley as well outside well, of that. Yeah, I mean, the the, the director uh, of the movie called uh, Walken's uh, approach jazz acting. And uh, that he would just try all kinds of, of different things all the time. And I wanted to ask the the Whitley that's in the movie. How different is he from the Whitley in the book? The thing about the movie, I think, is Walken. It, it, I think it's hard to say that Walken is not being performative. Like everything about Walken's performance in that film seems like he's crafting a right. And I don't know. I mean, I I gather from Whitley Strieber's friends and stuff, he's quite a character himself. Mm-hmm. But it feels I, like I did my mustache uh, like this today. Is is cranking the weird up to eleven? <laughs> yeah. No, I did my mustache in, like in, this in today sort of for like an homage. For the, in homage to him. Well, yeah, because of the scenes where he uh, would see a version of himself that was like the magician and yes, stuff. Yes. That's, oh, that's, that's right. Yes. 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 yes, yes, yes yeah, he did. Hair mm-hmm. back. Yeah. yeah I yeah. think yeah. It, it's his acting's just really interesting and he has shades of david bowie with wearing the makeup and the androgyny and uh he also reminds me a little bit of some of the actors in uh, clockwork orange so it's uh interesting performance but again i don't know how similar it is to um the the, the reality whatever that is yeah, yeah. well so here's the I, I found this interesting in conjunction with the release of the film there was an audio book uh, that was narrated by Roddy McDowell that came out uh, contemporaneous to the film. And there was also a made-for-TV documentary about the Whitley Strieber communion experience. And it's also hosted by Roddy McDowell. And in there, you see interviews with uh, Strieber and a lot of his contemporaries and other uh, people in the contactee uh, community. 
And it feels like in that time period, when they're doing promotion for the film, that Streber is excited about this movie coming out, and he seems very positive about it. Now, that being said, if you listen to interviews with him uh, 10 years later, uh, in like 2007, he's not happy with that film at all. He's upset about it, and he says of it that Christopher Walken's performance was entirely meant to be a parody and a mockery of his own life. Uh, I don't know what happened in those 10 years because literally the, the comments probably from the public and people. Yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah, silly. maybe it's, 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 is it a dodge? Is it a way to explain why the film didn't perform that well? I don't know. I, I like, I don't have like a, uh, a real good view into why he changes his tune, but boy, he changes it hard though. He well, that's, you know, the thing good. is at the time it didn't do that poorly yeah. i mean i mean it, it it boosted his book sales uh suddenly he's uh this uh interstellar celebrity so to speak but you know as they were filming it whitley said to christopher walken you know you're kind of making me look crazy and christopher I think it was in said particular i think it was in particular the scene where he was trying on the masks trying on the the, the alien masks yeah yeah and uh christopher walken said to him you know if the shoe fits Oof. And I think that's a brilliant <laughs> quote, you know, that Christopher Walken thought he was crazy. Um, yeah. And yeah. so he just let himself go when he played this role. And I, I think it's beautiful. Uh, it makes me wonder because there is so much Christopher Walken in the role. Oh, yeah. How much did we lose of of Whitley? Um, and and so, so I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say, you know, when we're looking at debased on a true story you know, how much of this was performance art uh, when we get down to it and how much of it was Whitley's story. Yeah, for both of them, really. But uh, (laughs) I was going to say, one one thing that happens, and this is true for any film that's based on a book, is things in the film typically get streamlined in order to make them fit translate well. Right. Yeah. So what's two different visits to the cabin in the book kind of get merged into a single experience where they've got the other couple with them um and that's whitley's real life friends i want to say in this didn't come across with the casting but they're supposed to be like very fitness people um the the guy is supposed to be like a, a professional athlete with like martial arts skills and stuff and it's played by the guy that plays There's the one our man yeah, it's like that's that's the one our man from the uh the, the fugitive. Uh and hold on, I lost it. all these all these asses got me distracted. So like, <laughs> uh I I had a cohesive thought and now something's wrecked up. Um oh, no, no, so, no, but seriously, um so that all got merged into one event. And then the other big difference, and I, you just, I think you actually watched the film more recently than me. I watched the movie like three months ago and then read the book like three weeks ago. So I should have done it maybe closer together because now I can't remember. Um, in the movie, the movie ends with them like walking around, like uh, Whitley and his wife walking around in an art gallery, if I remember correctly, having some sort of philosophical conversation about the meaning of the visitations right and i think that's filling in for the last sort of third of the book being whitley going i don't know what this means maybe it's this maybe it's that 
Maybe these things are from another planet. Maybe these things are from the future. Maybe they're us. Maybe they're from another dimension. Like he just, he like releases himself from responsibility. Yeah. Sounds like. Yeah. No, I mean, like, I I don't know what happened. You know, so. Well, for uh, all of this uh, wisdom and knowledge, especially from this this female uh, matriarch character. Uh, it's just amazing that they didn't communicate to him exactly what was going on. But I'm just wondering, uh, if in the movie, it seems like the, these things or these visitors are attached to the, the house or the cottage. Uh, they don't seem to really follow him back to his apartment in Manhattan. I think at one point he does. They hint at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But is this, is, is, are these things in some way or these creatures in some way attached to the, the cottage? No, here's here's where I mean they are in a sense because in the book he ends up bringing, uh, either in the book or one of the friggin' many 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 interviews I heard with him, he ends up bringing a group of other uh, abductees, as sort of like a mini conference at his cabin, and they all have weird experiences. It reminds me very much, very much, of the Amityville horror. Uh, let's have a seance there and then like you know the people watching it see nothing but the people experiencing it say they had all kinds of crazy experiences stan romanek followed this exact same thing when uh he was uh trying to convince people he did the same thing so he would invite every paranormal group he could find yeah to bring to his house and then he really did seem to use that as a a template for his experience it's interesting i I like I like the fact that you're thinking of it in these sort of strategic terms because I, I I just thought it was like oh they're building a community but maybe that's a more reasonable you bring in the people most likely to have experiences and then guess what they do have they experiences. have experiences yeah, yes exactly yeah, it's like yeah like uh, an indoctrination in a sense like a religious yeah. thing but uh, what I want to comment upon is that uh, it's interesting that you said that he brought all of these people to this cottage and and it really embraced those uh, other experiences or abductees because in the movie he kind of rejects he starts going to therapy and he uh i think they're very uh uh they they don't initially welcome him because they think that he could be somehow a threat to them or he's he's a writer and uh so they they don't immediately embrace him but he really does seem to reject the idea of of therapy at first and and other contactees like oh i'm not one of them Right. And I, I actually, I thought that was, that worked better in the movie than I think how things really played out in the book. Um, one more thing to answer your question about the cabin, though. In the book, something very specific happens that answers that mystery of, is this tied to the cabin or is it tied to him? And that is, he's doing his hypnotic regressions. Mm-hmm. And suddenly the doctor's like, I want to go back to the cabin. I want to go back to this date. And instead of going back there, he's suddenly on a train ride with his father in like the 1950s. And he's having an abduction experience there and his father's part of it. So basically, it it's revealed that this has been following him around his whole life and he didn't know right. about it. So, right. Um, well, I think, uh, yeah. yeah, in the in the movie, they implied that his son this is passed on to his son like mm-hmm. it's some kind of gift almost to be able to, to be aware of these uh visitors uh and and they don't talk about his father at all but yeah it seems like from interviews that we've seen uh that this is something passed down from his father and maybe even his grandparents and it's just kind of following the 
the male line in the family and that it's a, a kind of gift or he's chosen somehow. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, Consciousness, Philosophy, UFOs, Ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. And, and he does, he and has I, implied that he has chosen. And that's one of the things uh, th- that I'm looking at. Because if you don't know the answer to something, it's great to say, I don't know what's happening here. It's, it's a good thing to, to take that stance. But if you're also going to take the position of, I'm the chosen one who's going to help humanity make better contact with these beings, um, I, I think it's really shirking responsibility to then go, I don't know what's going on here. Because he's telling yeah. two sides of the same story, and it's doesn't doesn't work for me. Right? No, he's definitely trying to leave it open, and so he never has to. Uh, one way of viewing this might be he never has to um, dismiss any hypothesis because he accepts them all as plausible. Right. So right. if you like aliens, well, you're good to go here because he'll cover that. But if you like mm-hmm. ghosts or other dimensions, or future humans, Ascended you're okay beings. there too. Come on yeah. in, everyone's welcome, because I'm not mm-hmm. going to explain any of this. Um. <laughs> so, yep. uh, w- with him saying that this is something that's been handed down through his family, what's the significance of these visitors, of, well, not the visitors, but his uh, friends who stayed at the cottage and had some kind of experience too, and did his wife ever see these things? I don't she under hypnosis in the first book she basically says that she's not allowed to talk about what happened to her like under hypnosis she's i'm not i've been told not to, to say and she she basically endorses whitley's experiences but says she can't really comment on because she's basically been blocked out of being able to release all her information due to these uh hypnotic blocks from the visitors um maybe it was a marketing thing well i mean yeah (laughs) there can only be one chosen one so true yeah yeah he ultimately so like we talked okay 
he hears a radio interview i think with bud hopkins is how he originally gets involved in the abduction community he's had these weird nightmares he doesn't know what's going on he hears an interview with bud hopkins bud hopkins and uh john mack are in the there's a couple other people jerome clark there's there's a few people who are like around this culture of abductions at this time uh including one i'm not going to get into because of how that played out but um he ends up reaching out to hopkins and says i want to know more about this can you tell me more can you get me so ultimately hopkins tries to get him to get hypnotized and he refuses to let hopkins interview him largely because hopkins is not a doctor doc hopkins is an artist and so he gets um he gets in touch with a psychiatrist or a psychologist rather named um uh okay keel no no not, not keel we just talked about this too yeah i keep forgetting his name donald klein i'm sorry i keep thinking of keel oh. because john klein john is the name of the john keel character in the mothman prophecies movie that's why i keep keel and klein keep whirling around in my right, brain right this is yeah. the bye-bye miss america pie guy exactly <laughs> right not the answer so <laughs> so he ends up uh getting hypnotized and, and like unlocks all these memories for whatever purposes but since this time like in other words since communion came out he made a ton of money and sold a lot of books and when i say a ton of money i mean i know it was a like a more than a million dollars uh in the 87 period but then he wrote subsequent books and then they themselves were also super successful now Trans transformation I, and there were several of them there was a bunch but he did an interview in 2007 with art bell when art bell had switched from doing terrestrial radio to doing satellite radio and we could put a link to this in our show notes but it, during that interview he's complaining and he said that like he was making lots of money and everything was very successful until south park and south park did an episode where cartman gets an anal probe and as soon as that that's happened, actually the name of the episode it, it literally is it turns out that is literally episode one season one of south park and according to streber the success of that episode that one single episode completely undermined his ability to sell books and he went from being a new york times bestseller to basically nobody because everybody thought anal probes were a joke now well in his defense he says he we said, didn't think this, it before yeah well many people made jokes about it but now it was like no no really they're making a lot of jokes but but he points out that hey if i'm telling the truth you know they're basically mocking me for being raped Raped, right? yeah which i've is, heard which, him say that in an interview yeah, yeah and it's like which is sobering right you know it it is but yeah. uh i remember years ago it was either jeff peckman or stan romanek or both of them who criticized mm -hmm. me for writing about little green men and saying that i was you know, racist uh, yeah i was racist and prejudiced against other species because mm. i used that very common term i i think uh it, it's interesting in that uh whitley is is taking a real world problem a real world social issue and uh, that he's kind of pasting that onto his you know, potentially imaginary experience uh, to, to, I think, just lend credence to his theories and, and to 
give it credibility as well. So it's it's interesting how we, we're seeing that happen a lot within that that community to take us seriously. Uh, these comparisons to racism and to to rape and, to rape and sexual yeah. harassment. Yeah, and that's that is that is scary because he can give all of the same arguments. You know, believe the victim, and and you know all those things, and yeah, uh, victim blaming, and uh-huh. so it is. It's and I very, guess we, we should talk it's about a, that. It's a difficult roadblock he's thrown up. Oh yeah, the anal probe. That's a uh, you um, know. Let's uh, let's talk the, about that. In the movie, and uh, I mean, like you were talking about South Park. I think it's mm-hmm. parodied parodied in lots of other. Um, areas of popular culture too matt you showed me something from adult swim there was a yeah i'll, I'll that bring scene that one was up replayed. i was just going to um show this really quickly first so yeah this is that area and you just don't know what he's in for at this point <laughs> yeah maybe and you do the way that thing comes out of the wall and has a life of its own please do not be alarmed we are about to engage the nozzle. Please do not move while the nozzle is engaging. Moving will disrupt calibration of the nozzle. Please wait while we calibrate the nozzle. Please do not look away from the nozzle. Why are you walking so funny, Cartman? In the, the movie, it's not it's not mocked. I mean, he's taking it seriously, and he's yes. scared, and he's wondering what's going on, and he feels violated. So, uh, yeah, it's not not exactly a mocking, but I can see how. I mean, this has just just become intrinsically tied in with uh, experiences and contactees. The the idea of anal probes. <laughs> Right. Absolutely. And and then once that got into the the sort of the uh the consciousness of the, the public, um, that became canon, you know, in a sense. Now this is just what happens when you're abducted. Yeah, if you yeah, if you have a visitation, if you're an experiencer, then you've had an anal probe. Yep. I mean, we don't really you know. handle that. I mean, it's it's interesting. The part of me wants to say, oh. Well, you know, I wasn't there, but this sounds awfully familiar. This sounds like uh, sleep paralysis. This sounds right. like uh, that sort of uh, hypnagogic or hypnopompic experience. And one of the, the things about that would be uh, those are frequently associated with sexual experiences. Um, right. And yeah. what, like it or not... Um, the anal probe uh, fits more into the sexual experience than it does into the actual scientific approach. I mean, yes, people do have proctology exams. People do have cameras stuck up their butt, but uh, this doesn't, I mean, like for another species to come here, I don't know why they would pick the anal probe is how they're going to get information from Whitley and his body. It seems like there would be other ways, uh, you know, he's tied in cattle mutilations. I mean, you know, when you get down to it, the stuff that they're getting all their vast information about us from is strange. Yes. It it really is. New meaning to invasive species. It does. It does. (laughs) (laughs) But it, it does make me think of the group therapy scenes in communion in the movie and uh, the, the experiences that some of the people are talking about 
really do have shades of sleep paralysis. And uh, what was disturbing to me were the experiences that some of the women had had, that they had had, uh, a, they'd been pregnant and then suddenly that had a miscarriage or the baby wasn't there anymore. So I guess to justify claims of alien hybrid children, uh, but there were you know, certainly these stories of something being there and then suddenly it's gone, our experiences of, of rape or uh, harassment in, of, of some kind um, really seems to, to come into these experiences a lot. Um, but again, you've got that kind of communal reinforcement to uh, aspect where people had experiences like this and oh, now it can be explained. This is uh, an alien visitation. I've had this experience too. And instead of looking for a natural explanation, a scientific ex explanation like sleep paralysis, I think a lot of people enjoy the idea of thinking that they're special somehow and that they're a chosen one or a contactee, uh, that they have you know, some kind of, that they're special in some regard. Yeah, absolutely. And it does feel a lot like um, that Strievers coasting more and more towards spiritualism and enlightenment in that sort of new age uh, side of the aisle. He's not, nothing about this book says, here's concrete material that you can test and analyze for a scientific and rational worldview. Everything feels quasi-spiritual, even right here at the beginning with, with communion. But since communion, he's continued to write more and more books that sort of push over into that other side towards philosophy and religion. Um, and, and that seems not, to be yeah. very common in these types of uh, alien abduction stories. They yeah. start out with fear and terror, and then as soon as we, you know, as soon as we get an understanding of what these aliens are trying to do, um, and that that I'm chosen to 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 help raise consciousness and all this kind of stuff, uh, and then the the people coming to him, you know, the the communion letters and everything, it, it's they are worshiping him. And yeah. that is an addictive drug. Oh, I really bet. Addictive. I mean, I wouldn't mm -hmm. know, but I bet. You know, oh, I know all about <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, but there, but, at this point, they're just sorry. Well, I was going to say he also partnered with uh, Jeffrey Kripal, um, who is a religious studies professor who's done a lot of work um, that seems to be geared towards undermining uh, a materialist, rational, science-based worldview. He, he really seems to hate that worldview. And so he partnered with Strieber for a book called The Supernatural, A New Vision of the Unexplained in 2016. But even more telling to me is Whitler's, Whitley's most recent book is called Jesus, A New Vision. Now, is that uh, like a Jesus? Or is that <laughs> Jesus? Exclamation. Yeah, well, see, how, here's, how is here's what it says. It says, a new vision is at once a magisterial work of scholarship and a completely new approach to the meaning and message of Jesus it comes at a time when the Western world is divided between a declining number of believers in Christian doctrine and an ever-increasing number of people who feel that Jesus was nothing more than a religious zealot who was executed for the crime of sedition. What if neither approach is right? What if Jesus really did perform miracles, including the resurrection, but that this says not that he was a deity, but he was exercising human powers, which are buried within us all, which we do not suspect are there. Oh, boy. If you get wow. your vibrations just right, you too can have the power of Jesus. But that's an old, really you know, an older the theory. Stuff. That is a very, very much an older theory that even, you know, was touched on with spiritualism. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, and that's a great easy one to jump on. And that's, that's the thing is so much yeah. of this is just so easy to, you know, to, to ride the, t- the coattails of, of right. all these other uh, movements yeah. that have happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I, it's suspicious. I mean, to me, it feels a lot like uh, someone who is, again, talk about gravy trains, the science doesn't know everything, get rid of the orthodoxy down with the academics, you know, that kind of approach, even coming from within academia, like Kripal, I think these are people who have realized that there is money to be made by saying Mm -hmm. that science is an orthodoxy and just needs to be overturned for the new paradigms to take effect and lead us on into a shining new age of higher vibrations, my brothers. (laughs) So Right. Yep. Yep. Uh, and there are just so many different characters that we could talk about here. Matt just mentioned Mac, and uh, we've been talking about characters like uh, David M. Jacobs mm. uh, and Stan Romanek too. So I don't know if you want to talk about any of these kinds of people and their involvement in this or their, their parallels that well, we've taken yeah, on the there, there, there's There's so much to talk about with, with both Stan Romanek and David M. Jacobs, because um, I've had uh, run-ins with both of them separately, and both of them uh, I ended up in screaming matches with, so it's kind of interesting. But uh, th- one of the interesting things is with Stan Romanek, he is following the template, but he's he's following the template of many he's different things. deviated a little bit. But... Well, uh, but, but he only deviated into a different template is really all he's done well yeah and he yeah he went complete deviant in the end and uh you know is now a uh on the uh sexual predator list so um the the thing is uh he he did all these same things that 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 uh whitley did he did all the same things decades in fact he, he believes that you know he woke up one morning and was wearing this uh this this uh sort of nightgown and he believes that it it is betty hill's nightgown um devil's lingerie devil's lingerie yes <laughs> oh wow boy that came full circle um <laughs> but uh you know so he's kind of gone down the line on all these these things you know he's had the kind of the mib chasing him and he's had you know the the government conspiracies trying to silence him and all, all these different on things on his computers yes he's hidden uh kitty porn on his computer yeah stan romanek is uh you know he, he's the guy who went in. he read all this stuff. He, he claims, of course, he knew nothing about any of it, but he was smart enough to memorize the Drake equation for his uh, first hypnotherapy session so he could write it down in, um, you know, under hypnosis. And then, you know, do, do you guys know much about the Drake equation? Yes, that, that it you is know, nothing but it's, it's variables. The entire equation in. is variables. There's no real numbers in the Drake equation. So it's up to you to plug in those numbers to mm. get your answer. So he has all of the variables written down. And then he says times 100. Ooh. If you know anything about algebra, that means nothing. Because you've got no numbers plugged in anywhere else. So times 100 means nothing. So if the aliens gave him that, the aliens are dumbasses um, that don't hey, understand uh, algebra Romanek either. Was not, Romanek was not built in a day. <laughs> so oh, boy is that the truth boy is that the truth but uh so yeah there's there's so many holes in his stories but the thing in his story but the thing is is i uh, found out who this hypnotherapist was and i went and found out where she got her license because you know you tend to start doubting the credentials of a lot of these people involved uh so i found the school she went to 
I enrolled and went and got my license as well. And I found out during the course of all my training that uh, regressions like this are not recommended because they never bring out the truth of anything. You can do it as a bit of theater if somebody needs to work out some emotions, but they never tell the truth in a regression. Uh, the, you know, whether it's past life regression, whether it's an alien abduction regression, these things Fantasy. are never, ever recommended to recover memories from, you know, something that's, that's not proven. I mean, you can re sometimes recover childhood memories, but then you run the risk of implanting memories through your own, you know, through your, the suggestion and then you end up with a satanic panic. So, mm. you know, hypnosis is a very, very touchy, careful type of thing. And no real hypnotherapist would be doing those kinds of things um, with, with any amount of ethics involved. No, so, ethical, yeah, it's, it's not, you know, because they were taught during their training not to do this. Now, this and was they go ahead and do it anyway, because they're making some money. I guess 85, 86, when it was actually 86 would have been when most of this was going on. Mm -hmm. So this is also not too far away from the whole satanic panic. Uh, Michelle remembers yeah. all that yes. sort of stuff. So yeah. Yeah. this was uh, this was kind of the golden age for suggestion, uh, hypnotism, messing your memories, all kinds of ways up. So, well, I'd like to to show you a web. There, there's a guy, David M. Jacobs. Now he is a doctor. David M. Jacobs. So he is a doctor. So you can feel good about getting your hypnotherapy from this doctor who has his doctorate in American history. Hey. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so not in, not in, uh, yeah, it's not in psychology or psychiatry. It's but in a completely really unrelated the impression that he's a, a medical he, doctor. He, yeah, he really does tout that. And he's, um, it's it's not right what he does. Uh, so I, I want to show you two quick little pieces here. The effects of hypnotism, especially memories retrieved during hypnosis or hypnotic regression. Abduction memories are highly suspect. Paranormal <laughs> investigator Matthew Baxter is also a hypnotist. You learn very quickly that when you regress somebody, uh, they, they just tell what's in their imagination. Uh, they make up stories. They're very real to them, but they make up stories. Studies have repeatedly shown that hypnosis does not improve memory, but it can create false memories and solidify a person's belief in those memories. For skeptics, it's no coincidence that UFO abduction stories began showing up in the therapy-crazed 80s, along with other hypnosis-related phenomena like satanic ritual abuse and multiple personality disorder, all based on hypnotically retrieved memories. The problem here, here's David, is the evidence for all this. It's hard to think of weaker evidence. It is human memory. It is recalled through hypnosis with all its attendant problems. It is administered by amateurs like me. And then comes this anecdotal information. It's the bottom of the pile of evidence, but it is evidence. Now, I find that to be incredibly painful 
I find that to be incredibly painful that he admits how terrible it is, how wrong it is, how it's administered by, uh, you know, amateurs and uh, hypnosis administered by amateurs is incredibly dangerous as we know. And then he goes, but it is evidence. Mm -hmm. Um, That's like, to me, that's, that's practically criminal. You know, he's, he's telling everybody it's okay what I do. And so I, I want to show you and a, a legitimizing little, it. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to show you a little more clearly what he does. Um, this is from his website. Now, uh, Karen and I actually went through this uh, the other night. Um, so, you know, I've the, the questionnaire. Yes. Now, I've had uh, a bit of a, um, a UFO, a couple of UFO uh, and alien abduction experiences when I was younger, and I was a victim of the hypnotherapy craze. And so my memories, I know are not accurate. And I I have a a tape recording somewhere of the session. I can't, of course, find it. Isn't that convenient? Uh, But I can't find it. But I remember listening back and going, oh, my God, she led me the entire way. And uh, you can just read through these. Have you ever seen a UFO? Not. Can you tell me about, you know, (laughs) <laughs> can you tell me anything about why you're here? You know, what, what you think you've experienced the, he goes right to, have you ever seen a UFO? So there it's planted. Boom. Okay. We'll give a short description of the events surrounding the sightings um, as a child or an adult. Did you ever experience odd periods of time and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, Karen was able to go through this and say yes to a lot of these and which led to, Oh, you've been abducted. You have been abducted, get it, get it signed up to have a session with me, basically. Right. Um, and uh, these are terrible questions. You know, uh, if you're a woman, have you ever felt certain that you were pregnant, but the pregnancy suddenly disappeared? How regular or common are miscarriages? You're really dealing with the pain that somebody's yeah. going through with a miscarriage and turning it into, well, maybe this wasn't a miscarriage. Evidence, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, and, and it's like, this is, and, and I, I had a screaming match with him about this very questionnaire 10 years ago, and it's identical and nothing has changed uh, in this questionnaire. And it, it is, this is very, I, I think it's very criminal. harmful stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it really is. And, and this is what, what basically happened to Whitley, you know, Whitley, uh, he may be you know, uh, riding this, this cash bandwagon that he's on, uh, of being addicted to people treating him like a God and all these things. But I also think he's a victim of, uh, the, the hypnotherapy of the eighties. Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah. It's, I, I think, uh, you know, it sounds like from his interviews that, you know, his finances have taking a dive after that whole South Park incident, if that's true. It'd be interesting if to If you know... can be undermined by South Park, um, <laughs> that's yeah. always been fairly good evidence that maybe you're not standing on completely solid ground. Now, what does that say about North Korea then? I don't understand <laughs> what you're saying. So, like, so... I rest my case. <laughs> so I, I, I was well, thinking here about the, uh, well, I, just, I, I was just thinking about how he's always played this sort of coy game, like, rolling around the edges of he wants to make money off the ufo people the alien people but also keep himself into the new age stuff and not really lock Mm -hmm. himself into any particular explanation look i'm going to tell you some mysterious stories these are very scary 
things will come into my house to get me. And like, they're not killing me. They're giving me some wisdom. What's the wisdom? I can't tell you what the wisdom is. Are they aliens? I can't <laughs> yeah. tell you if they're aliens. We just keep buying yeah. my books because I'm going to keep yeah. writing them. You yeah. Know, like, from okay. what you're saying, it seems like uh, because he's taken this hit from South Park that he's just really moving into an area that he thinks is is more vague, more ambiguous, and yeah. and uh, more appealing to people today. Moving away from religion into New Age spirituality. I would say though, of all his books, uh, while Communion is clearly the one most people think of with Strieber. He also co-wrote a book with uh, Art Bell called The Coming Global Superstorm. And oh. that was about this idea that global warming would actually cause a global ice age. And the documentary they made about that um, was so compelling. Um, it's called uh, The Day After Tomorrow. And, yes. uh, you and know, it's a great it's, documentary. It's, yeah, It is really a good documentary. I like it a lot. Me and my son <laughs> love that movie. So. Uh, it's, it's, Especially it's, the lifelike, got, the lifelike wolves. The lifelike wolves are astonishing. I mean, I would say, except for maybe Wolfen, maybe the best on-screen depiction of uh, wolves in New York. Uh, yes. Yeah, and uh, you know, just it's very, it's a chilling, uh, plausible <laughs> ex- explanation for how we'll end up uh, if uh, our we don't get control of our weather a little better. Yeah, I had so, forgotten um, that he had a hand in that. He um, does, yeah. So, yeah so and 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 what you know just because of a lot of the the cool effects in the movie not the wolves but the rest of the cool effects in the movie i did love that movie as well um but yeah amazing. The, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it was fun to watch all of the scientists kind of come out and go no you know yeah. after that movie was released it's a good double feature with the thing if you're doing one of those things where i like mm. freeze out the house and uh i've done like a lot of double features on that like uh uh uh, I station zero uh, doing both versions of the Howard Hawks version and the, uh, the, the Carpenter version, but throwing in uh, the day after tomorrow is tremendous. Yeah. It's really good. So don't you wish no, that so the thing was based on a true story? I would love to, I would love to have an episode on it is what I'm saying. It, 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 oh, I see. I thought, I thought, how is it not? <laughs> I thought it was based on a true story or are you not one of the body? Are you not one of the body? It's like, no, it's <laughs> not a true story. It's complete fiction. Trust so, me, it's fiction. I did want to just mention that I think it's interesting that uh, Eric Clapton composed the, the score for Communion. Oh, yeah, and yeah. The music was very prominent throughout. This uh, kind of eerie guitar riffs. and uh, but I didn't know that he'd written the theme to that until I, I found that out today. And I think that's really cool. So maybe we can play a little bit of that. Yeah. Yeah. And that it was a uh, co- cocaine. Was that the one? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Crossroads. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's very ecologically. Uh, Lightroom. Save, save the whales. It's uh, in the way like, that you whale! use it. Yeah. There is a lot of whale songs. There's a lot of whaling. Yeah. Uh, it's of its time. Yeah. <laughs> it is it, it is really uh i mean for a movie about uh aliens and rectal probes it, it's a <laughs> surprisingly uh porn music classic here so yeah so, yeah it's, yeah well, it's written we'll, uh, love for the movie here yeah. Like, uh, yeah, we don't mean to if you actually have had anal probes from aliens we don't mean to diminish your experience i don't that's not no, what this is about you got to take them as, on a case-by-case basis really exactly yeah. you know it's it's not something you just throw a big blanket over and say they're all fake because no. uh, you know yeah. you don't know you don't Leave know your stories in the comments <laughs> yes 
<laughs> Why have the aliens got all this technology but haven't developed KY? These are all really good questions. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yep, or a way to look uh, inside the human body without a probe. Um, where's the fun in yeah. that, Matthew? Or some, some anesthetic that, or so. something, you know? That's at right. Least knock me out. Aesthetic, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, speaking of YouTube, uh, please do subscribe to this channel. We've got a lot of new content that's coming through with Matt's Ask a Paranormal Investigator, and also our uh, Wants to Talk Live episodes. We're doing another one of those soon. Yes, hit that like uh, button. So... Smash the like button, everybody. Smash it. Smash it. Crush it. <laughs> Algorithms and such. Uh, and uh, please do support our work through Patreon. If you can become a patron, we really appreciate that uh, support for all of our research and uh, all of the, the things that we're doing. And so if you like Are what you... we do, you'll... Um, thank you so much for, for joining this uh, well, but Before we go, though, before we go, <laughs> um, do, do we want to uh, talk about what we're going to do next time on Debased on a True Story or DOTS, as we like to call it? Yeah, well, I think we were talking about uh, child's, child's play, play. child's Chucky play, and, and looking at uh, Robert the doll, and mm. then uh, what was after that? We were talking about uh, poltergeist the shining, maybe. shining, the yeah, shining. poltergeist. Um, if you guys have good ideas, put them in the comments, and we'll we'll look yes. at those uh, those ideas as well. So, yeah, we right. love hearing ideas and taking suggestions. And, and again, thank you for for joining us, and uh, we'll see you soon. Take care. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. You just heard an episode from our series, Debased on a True Story. In this episode, we were discussing the 1987 book and the 1989 movie based on Whitley Strieber's Communion. We'll be back soon with new episodes of the classic Monster Talk format. We've got Yeti, aliens, and monster fish all working their way towards the podcast feed. So stay tuned. As always, thank you for taking the time to keep us in your busy audio life. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. Another great way to support the show is to buy books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindles so we can share our digital libraries with each other. And finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Monster Talks, a proud member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network, home of such shows as Ben Franklin's World, Infamous America, and Legends of the Old West. If you'd like to advertise on this show, contact sales at advertisecast.com. Monster Talk theme music is by Pete Stealing Monkeys.
This has been a Monster House presentation.